It's Pete Price's podcast, and I hope you've all subscribed because it is free of charge. I am delighted to say, as you know, we always go on a journey with people. And this gentleman is a dear friend of mine who's been in my life for many, many years. Uh, come from humble beginnings and has done well for himself. And we always like to tell people's story. And what we want you to take from this is, honestly, anybody can do well, but it's called hard work. I'm talking to Sean Boyle. How was that for an introduction? Oh, wow. Where, where'd you begin after that? Yeah, humble beginnings for sure for me. Let's, let's talk about the humble beginnings because I was delighted to say, Sean, that I knew your mum and dad yeah. uh, who sadly passed away, but I know your background and I loved them and they were listeners to my show. But at the beginning, how did you start? Well, born in Ellesmere Port, 1955, working class family. Grew up, uh, as most kids do, and uh, difficult for my parents to make a living. Uh, strive to work hard, they certainly did that. Then I decided to go and work in hotels. Got a job in Chester, when called the Blossoms Hotel as a trainee waiter. The proper word was commie waiter at the time. And the rest is history. Now tell me why hotels? Of all the industries, what, what was it that attracted you to hotels? Well, I think it was, if I'm honest, Pete, it was the glamour. Because, you know, we live, we had uh, humble beginnings and we didn't have a fancy house or anything like that. So see, seeing a hotel like the Blossoms Hotel, chandeliers, plush carpets, you know, nice people coming into the restaurants, etc. You know, the silverware, the glassware, it was something new and fascinating. Mm. Now, we'll put that to one side because it's a fascinating journey and we're going to go on the journey. Mm. But let's talk about you as a person initially. Uh, you got married um, and then divorced and have children. You also have got a partner now, a beautiful man that you brought into my life called TK. What was it like growing up in uh, a working-class family as a gay man fighting his sexuality, or were you not in those days? Well, as I grew up, I, I think I realised there was something a bit different to me than most lads. Uh, but, you know, as, as we grow older, we come to terms of who we are, and that's exactly what's happened to me. I was married. Uh, don't take anything away from that. Two children, seven grandchildren. And now I've got TK in my life. So, you know, it's funny enough. It's a funny old story, but it works. It is interesting you say that. And one thing I will remember with you, you came back from Singapore, and we'll talk about Singapore shortly, but I remember standing outside the Empire watching Gary Miller, the mayor at the time, the Lord Mayor of Liverpool, with his partner, and they kissed on the steps of St George's Hall and both of us got upset because we've lived through a lot of pain, haven't we? Well, indeed. In fact, that day was ins inspirational, if I remember. It was a gay pride walk, wasn't it? And we both joined in it and it was a fabulous day. And just to see people from all walks of life in that uh, procession, there was so much love and so much kindness to everybody on the day and it was a really wonderful experience. First time ever for me to do something like that with you. Now... Before we talk about your journey of all the countries you've worked in and you have, how have you found the uh, attitude towards gay people over the years? It's not been easy, if I'm honest with you, but, uh, you know, I don't want to make any, any specific examples, but, you know, being gay, uh, and, and particularly when you're working abroad sometimes, people don't really appreciate it. It's a bit more, obviously, a lot more open here in the UK and in Europe, but some of the Asian countries find it difficult to understand.
Right, so you start to work at the Blossoms and it was in the days when it was silver service. It was proper catering, which now has gone back that way. It was important, wasn't it, and a discipline when you were a waiter? Oh, it was, and in my first job at the Blossoms, it was a French restaurant, so it was everything was in French. The, even the chef was French, funnily enough. And, you know, in them days, the, the chef de rangs, as they were called, would be cooking at the tables, doing the crepes rosettes and the steak dianes. And the, it was an experience, because it wasn't just putting a plate on the table. He was a little bit more to it, and you had to learn the ropes. Did your mum and dad ever sort of say, hang on, because, well, I'll give you an example. I always remember my mum, because I'm, as you know, from working class background too, and my mum said to me, why are you mixing with people with money? She couldn't understand it. The point I want to make with your mum and dad, did they ever say, hang on, what are you doing, son? Well, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, there was once my mum and dad had me working long at the Blossoms and they booked a table for two. And my mother asked the maitre d' at the time, that restaurant manager known now, to say they wanted me to serve them. So he came to me and he said, well, on this occasion you can. And they walked in and I could never forget it. They sat down, they looked at the menu, they couldn't read a word, it was all in French. And he, of course, he cottoned on to that. And he said to me, mum and dad, oh, he said, uh, perhaps madam would say you'd like a cocktail. My mother heard the word cocktail because they didn't drink, neither of them, my mum and dad, teetotalers, and she said, oh, we don't drink, love. So that was always a bit embarrassed, but now I don't take anything away from that. Mm -hmm. That's a great story, though. I remember my mum going in, Mm -hmm. I bought her a a fur coat, uh, a fur jacket, all my life I want to, and the waiter said at the Adelphi, which we'll talk about in a second, Mm -hmm. and he said, can I take your jacket? She went, you can't. And she sat there sweating because she wouldn't take the, the jacket off. That's mum's, isn't it? Oh, with, without a doubt. And I'll tell you another story. When I was at the Grand in Brighton many years later, I was Deputy General Manager, and my mum and dad came to stay for the weekend, and my boss at the time, the GM, he very kindly gave them the presidential suite, which was something. It was like where Margaret Thatcher's Prime Minister would stay, and she sat on the bench, she started to cry. I said, what are you crying for, mum? She says, oh, you've done well, son. And that's how she was. She was proud of me, what I've done. Mm, yeah. When we lost them, and I say, I knew Jim, I knew your mum, they were proud of you, weren't they? Oh, without a doubt. And you know what? They never travelled anywhere. But when I worked in Singapore, I encouraged them to come out for the first time. It's a long trip, as you know, 13 hours direct flight. And, you know, they came to the first hotel I worked in, which was then the Royal Holiday Inn. Oh, my mother was over the moon. It was 600 bedrooms and I was director of food and beverage with restaurants and bars and catering and banqueting. She couldn't believe how I'd grown within the industry. Mm. Now, you've just given us a little flavour in those last few sentences. Mm. You started off at the Blossoms. Uh, Tell us where and when you went from the Blossoms, where did you go then? Oh, goodness gracious me. After the Blossoms, funny enough, I went to work in Bristol, of all places, and uh, I was working at the Grand Hotel in uh, in Bristol, still in a very junior capacity. But then, because I loved the business and it was something that I thrived in and I wanted to learn more, I travelled around the country, travelled around the world, and, you know, uh, and I've had such a wonderful experience and ended up in hotels like the Empire Hotel in um, Brunei, where I was general manager, and I was directly serving the royal family. Now, a lot of people don't understand in this country how good 
the catering industry is. It is hard work. It is long hours. But you can rise to great heights, can't you? Oh, let me tell you, anybody who wants to come into the business, the world's your oyster. Look at me, you know, born in Ellesmere Port, Medellin, travelled the world. I've served heads of state, kings and queens. I've got photographs to prove it. And you know what? I look back over my 40 years with no regrets. And I hope now I'm back in the UK, I'd love to give back to an industry that served me well over the years. Now, we got to know each other in Liverpool. I was at the Shakespeare, you were at the Adelphi. Remind everybody how fabulous the Adelphi Hotel was. Oh, my goodness. In them days, you paid the Adelphi to work there. It was a privilege. It was a British transport hotel. I always remember I started my first job as night waiter, working from 10 at night to 7 in the morning. I met the who's who. I met Tommy Cooper. I remember once going to Suite 101 with a sandwich and a pot of tea, and it was for Harold Wilson, because he was in Liverpool at the time for the general election, because, of course, as you know, Highton was his constituency. So it was just an eye-opener, to be honest. And, of course, they had the French restaurant in the Adelphi. Oh, I worked in there for a while, too, and I remember the head waiters all had tails and gloves. And I was the, I was a commie waiter at the time, running up down them stairs with the trays of food. God, that was hard work, but it was an experience, you know. Wow, fantastic. You seem to have a, a huge fondness for the Grosvenor Hotel in Chester. Tell us about that. Oh, well, I worked at the Grosvenor in my, in my early 20s for about two and a half years and uh, I worked my way up and I became the maitre d' of what was then was the French restaurant. So, again, it was a beautiful experience, but one of my favourite experiences was when Lady Leonora married Lord Litchfield and we had to do all the catering and take, take control of the wedding at Eaton Hall. It was a huge marquee, 2,000 people. I can always remember it, you know, it was a daunting day and I remember when the Queen and the Royal Family walked in and I was rubbing shoulders with people like um, uh, James Bond, you know, Sean Connery at the time and all that. It was a wonderful experience, of course. And then many years later, I went to the Chester Grosvenor with my partner, TK, for our civil partnership. So used to go through the back door and this time was walking on the red carpet through the front door. Who'd have thought in all those years working there that you would have got married at the town hall and then came over with people from all over the world. That was a hell of a plan. What made you pick the Grosvenor? Oh, well, tradition and because the Grosvenor's held meant meant such a lot to me, you know. And um, I have to say, when we had our civil partnership, and of course you were a guest and you were my best man, what a show they put on for us. And walking down that street with the lions in front of us, Chester came to a stop. stop. It was amazing. It Mm. was indeed. Sean, how long were you in this country? before you decide to go abroad? Um, actually, my first job abroad was in Nigeria, actually, of all places. I was running three hotels there for the Nigerian government and I was about 26 at that time. Mm-hmm. Before we go abroad with you, and I'm talking to Sean Boyle, if you've just joined us on the uh, podcast this week, um, tell us about the, the time you had in Brighton at a very important hotel which had a, a dreadful ending. Well, I was working, as you know, at the Grand Hotel Brighton and um, my position there, I first started as the personnel manager and worked my way right up to deputy general manager responsible for food and beverage. Uh, beautiful hotel, you know, on the southeast coast, but my memory there was taking care of the Conservative and Labour Party conferences. And that's where, of course, I met the one and only Margaret Thatcher and what a stalwart she was. She was incredible. And what a privilege to have personally served her and taken care of her cabinet. Mm-hmm. And, of course, 
after you left was the disaster when uh, the bomb went off. Well, it was. And in fact, I just said before, I was in Nigeria and I came back and uh, had the great privilege of coming into the hotel and it was devastation. The hotel was built on a spiral staircase and the whole thing went from the fifth floor right down into the basement. It was a total disaster. I can't believe there was, wasn't some more people killed yeah. in that because it was, it was terrible. Mm -hmm. Now, Nigeria was your first trip abroad. Mm -hmm. How did you find out about the job? And before you took the job, were you thinking there's more to England, or should I say there's more to this job than being in England? Well, it was, th it was through a headhunter, actually. It was, a, it was a company in London got in touch with me and asked would I be interested to work overseas. I went up to London to, to this agency, met these people, and they put me forward for this job. I had an interview. And, of course, going to Nigeria, I thought it was going to be sun, sand and beaches. It was quite the opposite. It was hard work. It was and also I, a scary place, wasn't it? Oh, it was. It Tell was, us about that. Although it was interesting because it was an old colony, you know, so people still respected us very much. I particularly enjoyed working with the older Nigerians because when the Brits were there they had hospitals and good education of course sadly that had all stopped when I was out there but no it was a lovely experience but not one I'd want to do again mm. Was it scary as in could you walk out at night or were there places you couldn't go to? Oh no we lived in a compound and we had armed guards of night to you know to go to bed but that was just part of the package but I have to say I've got very fond memories of the country and the people how did your folks cope with the fact you were going to such a place like that? They must have been scared for you. Well, I, do you know, to be honest, I don't think mum and dad really understood where, where Nigeria was or what I was going to be doing there. But when I came home and told them, my mother was horrified. <laughs> so when you came back, did you work here or had you got the bug to travel abroad? Well, funny enough, when I came back from Nigeria, uh, one of my first jobs was deputy general manager of then was then the Birmingham Post House. Uh, and I, I lived in a place called Great Bar, and funnily enough, I'm now back in the West Midlands living in Warsaw. So it's like uh, a 360 degrees, I'm back where I started. I came to stay with you in Hawaii, which was an experience and a half. You'd bought a car, a BMW, took us around the island, That's but right. that was a Tell us about the, the place you were running in, in Hawaii. Well, that was a wonderful experience. Um, pr prior to that, I was in Singapore working at the American Club. Do you remember you came to visit me? And I was working for a company called Club Call for America. And they sent me out to uh, Hawaii to be interviewed for this job as general manager of the Plaza Club. And what an experience that was. It was the three penthouses of Plaza buildings overlooking the Pacific Ocean. Oh, it was breathtaking. I remember the morning I went for my interview, I was sat there and there's a wine music playing. I'm overlooking the Pacific Ocean. This lady came to me. She said, excuse me, you must be Mr. Ball. I said, I am. She would you like some sweet papaya? Oh, I said, I couldn't say, how could I say no? And I got the job and I was there for four years. What an experience. Why did you move? Well, it was, it was a promotion, actually, because uh, it was the same company who employed me to manage the, um, the American club in Singapore. And they were, had this club in Hawaii, offered me the job. I went for the interview. And when I saw Hawaii, how could you say no? Yeah. When you first went to Singapore, was that, that was before Hawaii, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, it was, yes, it was. I, funny enough, I went to Singapore on a holiday. If you remember, it was after I owned Kinsale Hall Country House Hotel uh, and left. And I went, I went on a holiday and fell in love with uh, Asia. And as it so happened, I had friends there who I was able to stay with and then got myself a job in a hotel. 
Uh, let's keep this to one side before we talk about Singapore, because that is a huge part of your life. Tell us about your politics and your life in North Wales, because you had a couple of businesses there. Well, I did. In 1986, I bought with my family a small little hotel called the Victoria Hotel in Hollywell, and it was an Ansel's Brewery sell-off. We bought it, very run down, and we found that out, actually, unfortunately, because we had loads of the wrong customers. But anyway, we brought the place up to became the, the pride of the pride of the town, actually, and then I got involved in local politics, became a local town councillor. In fact, my brother joined the council as well. I was a Conservative, not um, happy to say that. My brother was stood as an independent, but we gave back to the town. They gave us the opportunity of having a business. And then that then led us to uh, eventually become part of Kinsale Hall Country House Hotel. And I had two partners, Mike and Pete Cash. Well, you know, you've been to the hotel. And, of course, it's, it started from scratch. We won all the, we won all the awards and so we became a four-star hotel. So you've done so far so much. Why, uh, I know you had a few problems at the, at the hotel, which we'll leave, but you had a couple of things there. When did Singapore start beckoning? You went on holiday. When did it start beckoning? Well, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid to admit, but, you know, Kinsale Hall ran into some financial difficulties, and that was because of, at the time, interest rates were eight, 18%. It was difficult to survive, so the hotel was sold, and then I wasn't doing anything after I'd left there, and I got this opportunity to go to Singapore on a holiday and fell in love with, fell in love with Singapore, got myself a job, and the rest is history. Tell me what you fell in love with at the beginning. Oh, my God. I love the Asian grace. Singapore, what a beautiful island. Clean, safe. Um, the infrastructure there, everything works. People's ethics, work ethic is it's uh, top, top, top. People respect the elders. It was a country that I fell in love with. Of course, that's where my, I met my husband, TK. Now, you stayed there. What was your first job then? Oh, my first job was working at the Royal Holiday Inn. I was director of food and beverage. Do you remember you came? So what was then was the um, Café Vienna. Yeah. Remember the beautiful buffet there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So how did we get involved with the uh, bar down at, the, is it the canal? Oh, down, down at the Quay. Well, it was friends of mine. They owned that. And uh, they asked me would I like to go and manage it for them for a while. It wasn't doing very well, so I turned it around. And in fact, do you remember I asked you to do a gig one night for me there because it was a lot of expats there, wasn't it? It was, a, it was a crazy place, but it was fun, wasn't it? It was a crazy place. Ladies and gentlemen, I've known this man for so many years. He said, I'll introduce you. We did a deal. I went over as his guest and uh, we did this deal. And he came on and sang to open, sort of in drag. It was the biggest shock of my life. And you've heard how Butch's voice is. It was outrageous. And I think that cemented our friendship without any shadow. Of a doubt. Then you came into this wonderful idea called the Best of British, uh, which opened Singapore for me, and I can never thank you enough for the people I've met because of you. Tell us all about the, how the Best of British came about. Well, I was offered the job as general manager at the Singapore British Club, and of course, you know, being British, and I went to the British Club, and it was run 
down at the time, so it was a wonderful opportunity to turn the club round, which I did. And then I came up with this idea, Best of British, and it was promoting all good things from our beautiful country. So culinary, fashion, you know, uh, design. Uh, you know, we had we had personalities, uh, football personalities. We had chefs. You had yourself. You came out. You brought some people like Mick Miller. Do you remember mm-hmm. to perform there? Paul, Paul Askew. Askew. Yeah, Paul Askew was out there flying Jan the club. That's right. Anyway, it went on for five years, and you hosted it for me. But what was wonderful about Best of British, it raised thousands and thousands of dollars for charities like the Gurkhas Welfare Trust and also Riding for the Disabled. And um, it really put the social circle on the map. I always remember um, Anthony Phillips and the, the High Commissioner, British High Commissioner, he said, you know, Sean, he said, you're doing my job for me. And then, you know, I got the British Empire Medal through that. But, well, I was going to ask mm. you about that because when did you first find out, because of the work he'd done, for charity and yeah. and for the best of British over there because you were supporting businesses over there. How did you find out you got an award? Oh, my goodness, that was a shock. I, I got this letter and... Oh, sorry, no, it was an email, actually. I got this email saying I'd won, I'd won this uh, uh, British Empire medal and I thought it was a joke. I ignored it. Oh, it said yeah, I had to reply back. So I just ignored it and then I got another email you know, to the point, and then realised it, it was it wasn't a joke. So I replied, but then I couldn't tell anybody till the thirty first of December. So what a suspense that was for me to keep it away from my friends. Mm-hmm. Now tell us all about it. You came over with TK, your partner. Tell us about your visit to the palace. Oh well, we went to Buckingham Palace and our top hat and tails. I remember we stayed at the St James Club by St James Park. And we walked through the park on the day. Beautiful. It was in May, 23rd of May. It was on my birthday. So we go to the palace. We go through the queues, get through, go through Buckingham Palace into the garden. And there was just about several thousand people there. What an afternoon. I'm seeing the Queen walking down them stairs. And she stopped and I said hello to her. It was a, a day we'll never forget. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you are a royalist, completely and utterly a royalist. Oh, my God, yes. I've served all the royal family, including the Queen. I remember the opening of the Conway Tunnel when I had Kinsale Hall. We were commissioned to do the lunch, so I personally served her each course. I served uh, Prince Charles, now King Charles, and Queen Camilla when they were on a state visit at the Empire Hotel. I served Princess Anne at the at the High Commission in, in uh, Singapore. Met Prince Andrew there. I met Prince William and uh, Kate on, on a state visit to Singapore. So, no, I've been very blessed. Very blessed. I'm talking to Sean Boyle, originally from the port. And you can hear this is just a taste. This interview is a taste of what he's actually done. Uh, you made the decision to come back to England. Now, this was a hell of a decision because you've been in Singapore how many years? 27 years, yeah, and Asia. I worked in Asia, in uh, countries like Singapore, Thailand, Brunei. Mm, beautiful. Mm. So what made you come back? Well, two reasons, really, because I was diagnosed with cancer in 2019, lung cancer. Thank goodness today. Praise the Lord, I'm clear. That was a big thing that happened to me. Plus, I've got children and grandchildren living in Sutton, Coalfield, West Midlands. So I wanted to come back, and I was settling with my partner, TK. We live in Warsaw and uh, looking forward to the future. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned um, about Brunei and mm. the hotel, which is a monstrous hotel there. Jeez. Tell us about Brunei, because TK is from Brunei. Well, it was a coincidence, because I'd met TK before I ever went to work in Brunei. 
But I was working in a hotel, which you know well, Royal Plaza on Scots, and got the opportunity to be transferred to Brunei. It was a sister company. And I went there as resident manager and was promoted to general manager of the Empire Hotel. So, of course, I was serving the royal family on a daily basis. It was a the most wonderful job I've ever had in my life. Now, it's a strange place, isn't it, Bruno? Because it's run by a king, a sultan. Yes. And, but he's incredibly good to the people, isn't he? Oh, my goodness, yes. Uh, Brunei, it's a beautiful place to live. It's clean. It's very safe. It's very reasonable to live. I mean, I can give you an example. My partner's uh, parents will go to the hospital for a, a, you know, a checkup. Two dollars. They pay two dollars for everything. No, the, the the Sultan supports the people of Brunei, and of course they're very appreciative. And of course, working at the Empire Hotel, it's the hotel, seven, the only one of two seven-star hotels in the world. It's a must to go and see, without a doubt. <laughs> Which I was very privileged once again to see and meet TK's mum and dad and sister. We must men- yeah. must mention the sister. Yeah. Um, was it a big wrench to come back to sell up to? Because you've travelled a lot mm. and moved your home. Your home's been in 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 transit. How many times? Oh my God! My furniture's travelled around the world. <laughs> I think it came from UK to Singapore, Singapore to Hawaii, Hawaii, Singapore, Brunei, back. And now it's it's travelled all the way back to the UK. My God, it's expensive furniture, that, I tell it you. It is expensive furniture. <laughs> What's, looking back, when you started 27 years ago in Singapore and now, mm. have you seen big changes? Oh, my goodness. When you say changes, what, in culture or...? In, in the way people are, in, 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 uh, uh, the, was the hotel industry as big when you first started? Oh, I think the hotel industry has changed without uh, any doubt. You know, I remember, I go back to the Grover in Chester. That hotel was owned by the Duke and Duchess Westminster and it was an em- uh, 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 emblem to them. There was never no never no cost about how much a state cost. Give them the best, give them the best. Now it's all about cost control. It's about efficiencies. It's about profit. Uh, and yes, I, I appreciate business have got to go that way, but kind of lost the edge a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Completely mm. agree with that. Mm. Um, I hope that one day now you're back here that you're going to be a consultant because you've got an awful lot of knowledge uh, that needs passing on to other people. I think it would be great to do that. Would you like to do something like that? Well, do you know what? It's funny you used to say that. 40 years in hospitality, I specialise my time in food and beverage because that's the heart of the house, you know. I've opened restaurants, closed restaurants, opened hotels, rebuilt hotels. But no, to be back in the UK and to give back to an industry that's given me so much in my life, in my career, I'd be honoured to do that. It's a hard industry. It's a rewarding industry. What would you say to any young people who are thinking of going into the industry now? Oh, if you've really got a heart for service and you want to please and meet people, if you want to travel the world, then just do it, because I never look back. And do you know something? One thing we've not talked about, uh, about my education, I've, got, I've, got, I've only got the University of Life as qualifications. The rest is down to me as an individual. And I'll say to young kids today, it's in your hand. If you want to do it, you can do it. Just get on with it. And you're proof. Mm. Well, yes, without a doubt. From 18 Meadow Lane, I've travelled the world, I've served heads of state, kings and queens, and I even met 
the late Lee Kuan Yew at the Empire Hotel. What a privilege it was to serve Tell him. them who that is. The late, the late Lee Kuan Yew was the founding father of Singapore. And before I left Singapore, I was general manager of the Singapore Cricket Club and I had the great pleasure to meet his son, who's now Prime Minister. Now, the Cricket Club, I went over and I worked there for you as well. Yes. That is... Uh, an unbelievable building in the centre, isn't it? Oh, it's Singapore Cricket Clubs. It's on the Padang of Singapore. Dates back to 1852. When I was given the club uh, jacket to wear, it was a privilege. And what an honour to have done four years. And I have to just say thanks, Sher Baljit Singh, the president, for giving me that opportunity to become general manager of that uh, historic property. Mm. You mentioned earlier we, we, uh, the British club you worked but we never we never talked about the American club. That was an experience that was the best steak I've ever had Well, the American club, it was a funny thing again. I'd only ever worked in hotels I got headhunted to go as director of food and beverage to the American club. I was going to go through a major renovation which I was part of we opened the first ever Chinese restaurant in the American club and people wondered, would it be a success? It was very successful. And yes, you were right. Remember you came, you went to the presidential room, didn't you? And they brought the watcher trolley, the wagon, the meat wagon, and you had the best slice of steak you've ever had in your life. Ever, <laughs> ever. No one will ever take that from me. Oh, yeah. I had somebody on my radio show many years ago, Sean, never forget this, a boy and he said... Uh, I've been offered a job in um, McDonald's. He said, I'm not doing that. What a, a lowly thing to do. And I was really cross. And I went, friend of mine started in McDonald's and now owns 25 outlets of McDonald's. And he started at the bottom. You have to start somewhere, don't you, Sean? Well, I started washing the glasses. And funny enough, talking about McDonald's, I've got a grandson, Joseph, who's 17. He's doing his A-levels at school. He's working in the McDonald's now, and he's just been promoting customer service. That's the way to go, isn't it? That's a damn good start. Yeah. It is hard work, though, isn't it, catering? Oh, it's hard work. But you know what? As you go up through the ranks, it's not as hard as you think. Because when you become a general manager, you're leading the team you're not you're not working as uh, working on the floor like you did years ago mm -hmm. to finish off we just said about joining the catering industry because it is a vast industry and you can travel the world what advice would you give to anyone who is on the brink of maybe going down that road well if you've really got a heart to do it i'd say get yourself to a catering school Choose whichever division it is, if it's culinary in the kitchens or if it's front of house or if it's hotel management, that's the way to start. But you must have a heart to do it. Go, go, go like you did. You went to catering college didn't you, did years indeed. ago. Yeah. And, you know, take go that way gives you a grounding. Then you can start your own. Look at me. Night wait at the Adelphi Hotel, never taken away from me and ended up at the Empire as general manager. When you were at school, did you have a dream of doing anything um, in this direction, or had you other plans? Do you know a funny, funny thing? I was a little bit of an entrepreneur, actually, even at thirteen and fourteen. I used to run the school's uh, school tuck shop, and I was I was I was treasurer of the World Wildlife Society, and I also remember a teacher there called Ockleston because I was a bit of a fat kid at the time. He said, you look at that Sean Burrell, he's going to be a somebody. And I never thought I was, but I'll tell you something, I've never forgotten my roots and, oh, and my humble beginnings. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. Why not subscribe? You know it's free. 
So join us and tell your friends. It's great going on walks and doing whatever you want to do and then putting P-Price on. We've got a back catalogue of over 100 interviews. Join us. Subscribe. It's free.